0: Welcome to Commuter Highlights from First Church Belfast. Here we've distilled our normal Sunday service into a call to worship, a prayer, two readings, a sermon and an organ outro for you to listen to on your way to work, out on a walk or wherever. If you feel so inclined, you can support our work by going to firstchurchbelfast.org and clicking on the donate button.
1: We really would appreciate it. Here is this week's Commuter Highlights from First Church Belfast.
0: Grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's wonderful to be here this morning. Um, I thought at one point we wouldn't make it. Uh, There was roads closed in Ballymena and then we were hitting every red along the way, which was just wonderful. But uh, we kept calm. We got here in the end and it's wonderful to be with you um, again. Let's just take a moment of quiet uh, before we worship God together. This morning, in John chapter 6, we read, Jesus said, as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Let's pray. Lord God, we gather in this congregation to offer you thanks and praise for your wonderful works. May the Holy Spirit help us to give thanks to you wholeheartedly and by your grace may we live upright lives. Remembering your Son, please forgive us for our hard-heartedness and for the sins we have committed as a result and put a new heart within us that we may worship you and live for you in sincerity. Open all hearts this morning that the congregation may hear past my fallible human words and idiosyncrasies, that they may hear what you want them to hear this morning. Give us the grace to show charity to one another and to be patient with one another. And give us the grace to approach you together in humility, that we may hear your word to us this morning and allow truth to transform our lives. Help us to appreciate the greatness of your works and give us the grace to find pleasure in them. Your work is full of honor and majesty, and your righteousness endures forever. Help us to understand more fully who you are, that we may worship you correctly and grow in holiness according to your eternal standard of justice. Forgive us for our forgetfulness and help us to remember your wonderful works, especially when our lives are difficult, that we may be confident in your graciousness and mercy and find rest in you. Heavenly Father, in this holy silence, uh, we remember Tom Bannum, whose anniversary of his death passed recently, and we take a minute just to remember him and to give thanks for him. Name is holy help us to worship you with due reverence this day and all days and spare us from bringing dishonor to your name in our everyday lives in honoring your holy name may we grow in holiness hearing and heeding your universal call to holiness at all times in an ever secularizing world help us to understand what that word holiness means that we may grow in understanding of you And know how to live lives that reflect you to the world. Remembering Christ and his example. We ask for all these things in his name. And we pray in the words that he taught us. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom,
1: the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Today is the 15th of August. On the 15th of August, 1998, at about ten past three, a bomb went off in Omah. After visiting OMA, we prayed about what to do. The very Reverend Dr John Dunlop, a giant of the Presbyterian Church in Ireland, a man I'm honoured to call friend and someone who over the years has been a mentor to me, called on the phone and advised that I give people the opportunity to congregate outside the City Hall and quietly mourn and mark this awful atrocity. His counsel was to simply read the list of people who had been tragically murdered. Thousands of grieving and shocked citizens stood silently sobbing in the city centre as I, as Lord Mayor, read the names. The list we will read this morning is longer because some of the injured died in succeeding weeks. Each name represents a person A family, a circle of loved ones. John Hewitt appealed to us to bear in mind the dead and so as a mark of respect let us bear these names in our minds today 23 years to the day. It doesn't include the large number of casualties from that day who were maimed physically and psychologically who continue to suffer and still bear the scars. I will offer no comment or solution. I will just read the list. The response is yours. James Barker, aged 12. Sean McLaughlin, 12. Oren Doherty, 8. All three from County Donegal. Fernando Blasco Baselga, 12. Rocchio Abad Ramos, 23, both from Spain. Geraldine Breslin, 43. Gareth Conway, 18. Brida Devine, 1. Aidan Gallagher, 21. Mary Grimes, 65. Brenda Logue, 17, Brian McCrory, 54, Sean McGrath, 61, Jolene Marlow, 17, Avril Monaghan, 30, Avril was pregnant with twins, Maura Monaghan, 1, Elizabeth Rush, 57. Philomena Skelton, 39. Deborah Ann Cartwright, 20. Esther Gibson, 36. Olive Hawkes, 60. Julia Hughes, 21. Anne McComb, 48. Samantha McFarland, 17. Vida Short, 56. Fred White, 60. Brian White, 26. And Lorraine Wilson, 15. Amen.
0: Our second reading is taken from the first book of Kings um, starting at chapters 10 uh, verses 10 and 12 in chapter 2 and then reading verses 3 to 14 in chapter 3 David has just died and Solomon has become King David slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David and the time that David reigned over Israel was 40 years He reigned seven years in Hebron and 33 years in Jerusalem. So Solomon sat upon the throne of David, his father, and his kingdom was firmly established. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David, his father. Only he sacrificed and burnt incense at the high places. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings upon that altar at gibeon the lord appeared to solomon in a dream by night and god said ask what i shall give you solomon said thou hast shown great and steadfast love to thy servant david my father because he walked before thee in faithfulness in righteousness and an uprightness of heart toward thee. And thou hast kept for him this great and steadfast love. And has given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant king in place of David my father. Although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And thy servant is in the midst of thy people whom thou hast chosen, a great people that cannot be numbered or counted for multitude. Give thy servant therefore an understanding mind to govern thy people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches, or the life of your enemies, but have asked for what yourself understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before, and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honour so that no other king shall compare with you all your days and if you will walk in my ways keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father david walked then i will lengthen your days may god add a blessing to the reading and hearing of his holy word amen In our reading from 1 Kings, we find a transition in the Israelite monarchy. David slept with his fathers, and Solomon sat upon the throne. We learn something of the piety of the new king Solomon, that he loved the Lord, walked in the statutes of David his father, and worshipped with great devotion. And we read that God calls Solomon to prayer. The Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said... Ask what I shall give you. God's call to Solomon to pray is also a call to us to pray. Solomon is king. He is the anointed one, the Mashiach or Messiah, from which through the Greek Christos we get Christ. So it is that we can think of Solomon as a figure or a type pointing towards Jesus. Last time I was here, you might remember that we looked at part of Ephesians chapter 4. And talked about the idea that Christians make up the body of Christ. Well, as such, being members of the body of Christ, we share in Christ's threefold office of prophet, priest and king. Which we can see foreshadowed in the Old Testament through figures like David and Solomon. Our Lord taught us to pray. He gave us the Our Father as the model for all prayer. He also taught us by example. We read of his agonizing prayer in the garden of Gethsemane before his passion. My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. We read also that during his earthly ministry, he would get up early in the morning when it was still dark and go to pray by himself. So it is that just as the Lord spoke to Solomon, so he speaks to us ask what I shall give you. Being called to pray, let us consider what prayer is. There are two classical definitions of prayer. Speaking to God has been a spontaneous description of prayer since the apostolic fathers who were Christian theologians living in the first and second centuries who would have known some of the apostles personally. Another definition is which is generally attributed to John of Damascus, a Christian monk born in the year 675, is the raising of the soul to God. So we can think of prayer as both speaking to God and raising the soul to God. Both of these understandings are important to keep in mind as they balance each other out and prevent us from going to the extreme of one or the other. If we place too much emphasis on prayer as speaking to God, we can run the risk of reducing the divine mystery to the level of just another being. And we run the risk of falling into superstitious or even magical ways of thinking. Likewise, if we place too much of an emphasis on prayer as lifting up the heart or lifting up the soul to God, we can run the risk of obscuring the fact that we meet God in the man Jesus Christ, and we run the risk of falling into self-indulgent ways of thinking. Prayer is ultimately mysterious, and like the divine mystery, definitions can only get us so far. But thinking of prayer as both speaking to God and lifting up the soul to God gives us enough scaffolding to say something about prayer. And when we see this understanding of prayer put to work in the prayer life of jesus be it in the our father in his beginning his day in prayer or in gethsemane we can see what prayer is ultimately for correctly ordering our lives to god not as i will but as you will thy will be done god calls us to prayer ask what i shall give you not for his good but for our own Prayer is part of a continual conversion of the heart, an ongoing deepening union with Christ. You may have heard of a kind of prayer called centering prayer. It is a simple meditative form of prayer in which you sit quietly and repeat a holy word or mantra over and over again in your head for about 10 to 20 minutes usually. And it can be a useful discipline. But prayer in general could just as easily be called decentering. Why? Because to correctly order your life to God is to put him in the centre of your life. Which means that we have to take ourselves out of the centre of our lives. Another way that I've heard this described is getting out of the ego drama and finding your place in the theodrama. What does that mean? Well, ego drama is the way that most of us will experience life. That is that life is like a play written by us and for us. We are the lead character and everyone else we encounter are extras in our own story. The problem with that is that most of us are sinfully boring and the story that we write is no good. It's unfulfilling. Our only hope in life is to find our place in the theodrama. That is in God's story, not our own. In contrast to the ego drama, God is the author of the theodrama. We are not the main characters in our own selfish and poorly written stories, but characters in a handful of scenes, in an infinite epic produced by the same mind that produced the universe, and by the same heart that was pierced for us out of love for us. The theodrama is infinitely more exciting and fulfilling than the ego drama, and prayer is By aligning us to the will of the author and director helps us to find our role and to learn our lines i make no presumptions regarding your own prayer life and i won't stand here before you and allow you to think that i'm especially accomplished in prayer i'm not by god's grace alone i pray every day i'm blessed to have a wife who makes sure that i do Uh, because all christians are called to a ministry of some sort And we simply cannot fulfill that if we're not seeking God's will in his word, in worship and in prayer. But while some days prayer is refreshing and restorative in a way that I can immediately appreciate, other days it's a real effort. And most days, if not all days, I find myself distracted. But by God's grace alone, who puts the desire in our hearts to pray in the first place, I have been able to persevere. And again, I make no presumptions regarding your own prayer life. But I know that it can be difficult to maintain. And at times, to name something of an elephant in the room, prayer can be especially difficult for Christians of a more liberal, progressive, or deconstructing flavour. That's certainly how I felt when I was in that spiritual place in my early 20s, before moving towards a more classical understanding of the Christian faith, let's say. If that sounds like you... And if you find prayer hard and you want to talk about ways to develop a prayer life or a routine, we can talk about that over coffee after the service if you like. And likewise, if you have a particular devotional routine that you practice and that has served you well and you feel moved to share that with me, please tell me about it because you very may well have something that I could use and could help me grow in prayer. I can remember that when I was in my early 20s, and when I was going through a period of deconstructing my faith, I found prayer difficult. By the grace of God, I found this place. And I was able to stay in the rhythms of weekly communal worship while asking searching questions about fundamental Christian beliefs. What I was lacking personally, though, was a private prayer life. And perhaps, like some of you, I found these to be the biggest obstacles to prayer. One, that it felt irrational, and two, I found a difficulty in finding the words. Let me offer some words on both of those concerns that I hope you may find reassuring. Firstly, prayer is not irrational; it's supra rational. What does that mean? It means that prayer is not below reason. It means that prayer does not stop short of reason. It means that prayer, like faith, is not on the near side of reason, but on the far side of reason. That is to say that at no point during prayer do we stop reasoning. Rather, we go as far as reason can take us, but we end someplace beyond. Considering that prayer exists for us to grow in relationship with God, we should expect prayer to function in this way. Consider relationships you have with other people. You could meet someone new and over a period of time you could get to know them. Perhaps you get to know them well enough that you could call them a friend. Then perhaps one day this friend reveals something to you about themselves, something that you have no way of knowing without them telling you about it and something that ultimately you would have to believe by faith that they were telling you the truth. Notice how in that process, you never at any point stop thinking, stop reasoning, or check your brain at the door. Your reason is at work the whole time, but ultimately reason takes you only so far, and you have to make a choice. Based on what you know of my new friend, do I find her trustworthy enough to accept what she is saying? This is how faith works, and so it shouldn't surprise us that that is how prayer works. Through prayer, especially praying with the Bible, which I'll finish on in a moment, we learn that God is trustworthy and that we can accept what he has revealed to us to be true by faith. And at no point in that process do we stop reasoning. Rather, we go as far as reason can take us. Secondly, and I'll end on this, is the difficulty of finding the words to pray. And the answer to that question is use the prayer book. And by that I don't mean the book of common prayer, although that is a beautiful way to pray and a way that many, including myself, have found helpful. The prayer book I'm talking about is the Psalms. This is the prayer book of ancient Israel. This is the prayer book of Jesus, which he prayed from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is the prayer book of the church, Universal. These are divinely inspired words that you can take upon your lips at any time you like when your own words fail. And if you're not used to them, they'll seem strange at first. The more that you pray through them, the more you allow the spiritual meaning of the Psalms to shape your life and to get under your skin, the more you will feel the words as your own. Indeed, the more you pray the Psalms, the easier you will find yourself invited into dialogue with God. For example, let's think of Psalm 23, perhaps the most famous of Psalms. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I thank you, Lord, that you are my shepherd, that you're a good shepherd. I thank you for the gentle way you have guided me through life. I thank you that I have never really wanted for anything in my life. I thank you for the food in my fridge and the roof over my head. There are, Lord, those who are in want. I ask you to bless and protect all those in physical and spiritual poverty. And I ask you for the grace to love them and to help them in whatever way I can. If you run out of things to say, move to the next verse. And if you're out of Psalm and you still have time, turn the page. And if you aren't in a space spiritually in which the words come easily... Just pray the words of the psalm itself. It's more important for you to hear from God than it is for God to hear from you. God said to Solomon, ask what I shall give you. He asks us the same thing. And we have no excuse not to respond. May God reveal himself to you in ways most meaningful to you. And strengthen you by the gift of faith. Amen. The Lord bless us and keep us. The Lord make his face to shine upon us and be gracious to us. The Lord lift up his countenance upon us and give us peace. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forever. Amen.